0: Hey guys, what's going on? Jordy Cannell here. Thank you so much for checking out this weekend recap here on the Bullpen Card Podcast feed. Super Bowl 54 has come and gone. The Kansas City Chiefs have won. The Waste Management Open had a wild ending. We had a crazy weekend on the ice. A goalie fight in the NHL. It was an awesome weekend and I'm here to talk to you guys all about it. Let us know what you think in the comments. Let us know what you're thinking of the weekend recap, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see. As always, though, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. The bullpen cart is what you need to search on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Mash that subscribe button. Leave us a nice five-star review. Baseball season's right around the corner. Our namesake, spring training, is only nine days away. Eight by the time that you're listening to this follow us on twitter thunderblg thunderbox sports on facebook and instagram just like the website thunderboxsports.com but enjoy the episode guys we'll be back later this week and here Welcome to this episode of the podcast, the weekend recap. I, of course, am the G Man, Jordy Cannell. Thanks so much for checking this out. We're still going with the weekend recaps. Got a lot to talk to you about because it was Super Bowl weekend. So we have Super Bowl 54, the Kansas City Chiefs. Pulling off the comeback against the San Francisco 49ers. We also got the Waste Management open. Got a lot of hockey talk. Kind of a dramatic weekend on the NHL. So, want to talk about that. And then uh, a little movie talk. I know we, uh, we mentioned a few last week, but we're going to continue that. That seemed to go well with a lot of people. So, let's jump right into it. Super Bowl 54, Kansas City Chiefs victorious 31-20 to 20 over the 49ers. 21-point fourth quarter. With about seven minutes left, they were down big, or quote unquote big. The second largest comeback ever in Super Bowl history, which ten points doesn't sound like a lot, but I guess a lot of other Super Bowls have been that tight and that back and forth. Not that this game wasn't. You know, San Francisco jumped out with that first score. Kansas City had a touchdown, then San Francisco makes it ten nothing. Uh, Kansas City, you know, Kansas City gets it back, and then San Francisco almost. Goes or flip that 10 3 Kansas City, then 10 10 after a uh, Jimmy Garoppolo pass to a fullback, Kyle Juzik. But then the 49ers almost get that touchdown at the end of the first half. George Kittle gets called for offensive pass interference, which I guess by letter of the law he extended his arm out. But there's a number of, of different angles that not, didn't necessarily show it, but that show or show the the offensive pass interference. But you can probably from another number of other accounts as well, no of hand fighting and all that sort of stuff. So I was not a big fan of the George Kittle call at the end of the second half or the second quarter at the end of the first half. But you now then there's the, the controversial no, no timeout call or controversial, but that Kyle Shanahan doesn't employ. They end up giving the ball back. They kind of burn that possession, which very un Shanahan like, um, you know, and full disclosure, I talked about it a lot right as the Super Bowl matchup was first set and the lines were first open. I really liked the over. I bet the over. And that's not the reason why I hated the George Kittle call. I just don't like the ticky-tacky calls. And and football is one of those sports that really gets that way, especially with the rules changing, especially with being able to challenge what's past interference and what isn't. And I, I just didn't like that something that close, something that ticky-tacky was getting called when in reality, there probably was a lot from both angles, because there always is, and it's usually the last person doing it that ends up getting called. In this case, George Kittle happens in hockey a lot, and you hear me complain about it in hockey. And I I just am more of the let the guys play, let them, let them kind of figure it out if it really is that egregious. Like, it can be, and there were some calls in this, in this game that were that way on both sides that, you know, you have to call it, but there, you know, I mean, it was too close, and I get it. His arm was fully extended, but I didn't like it. Ten, ten. Halftime, the most electric halftime show with Shakira and J Lo. No Pitbull, which uh, you know, Mister Three Hundred Five would have loved to have him out there. But JLo and Shakira completely tore the house down. Very, very steamy. A lot of twelve-year-olds probably feeling something for the first time. Whether you know, male, female. Gay straight, because there was something for everybody in that halftime show. Um, But yeah, they they did a great job. There's some people complaining about it, of the over-sexualization. Do you remember Adam Levine shirtless last year? (laughs) I mean, what are you talking about? So, get into the second half. And the 49ers seemed like, throughout the first half as well, but really in the third quarter they seemed like they had an answer for Patrick Mahomes. And it starts off with a field goal... Looking really good for the over 3.5 field goals. It seems like, oh yeah, we're probably going to get another one. This is going to be great. And CJ, or uh, not CJ Mostert, Raheem Mostert ends up getting another touchdown later in the third quarter. It's 10 nothing or 10 nothing in the second half, up 20-10. to Jeez. And Kansas City can't really get a drive going. Mahomes is having this really tough game. He's now at this point thrown two interceptions, including one. Really awful one. Both weren't good. The first one where he threw behind Tyree Kill and kind of a weird bouncing off of one 49er and another guy picks it off. But but the second interception, complete miscue by Mahomes, and he just threw it right into the hands, square in the stomach of a 49ers uh defender. And it looks like that this is the magic's run out. He's he's not gonna be able to pull this comeback off. And then we know what happens from there. The third and 15, the 44-yard pass to Tyreek Hill. The Chiefs found their mojo and end up scoring 21 unanswered points. So even me complaining about the the George Kittle getting called back where they may have at least gotten a field goal and would have hit the over, you know, or or even seven points to, you know, at that point make it a 17-point lead that the Chiefs would have... You know, in that point, still overcome, still cover that spread, won by four points instead of by 11. Uh, but not to say that San Francisco didn't have their opportunities to go back there. Jimmy G, if he hits Emmanuel Sanders there, you know, that game, it's over. You know, I mean, and the defense still let up 21 straight points. You can place blame on a number of different people, and I know a lot of people are calling out Kyle Shanahan now with being the offensive coordinator in 28-3, the largest blown lead in Super Bowl history, and now the 10-point Still can't believe that's the second highest blown lead, but none, nonetheless, I I get some of the play calling was a little eh. There was a lower clip of running calls by this Kyle Shanahan-led offense than there was in the 28-3 game. I, I read that today. And, you know, that's, that's certainly something it's shown in this league. I know that passing is king right now, but you gotta milk the clock. You have to. You, you, you gotta. But... With Kansas City being able to score on a dime, I get partly where he's coming from. I mean, they scored 21 points with six minutes to go. 6-13 was the first touchdown in that fourth quarter to make it 20-17, to 17. And, Kansas City, or, and Kansas City just kept pushing. And, you know, I can kind of get it. Jimmy G's got to step up big. That's the difference between him and Mahomes. Mahomes, in that final moment where he needed to pull himself up after having the worst... 45 minutes of football in those first three quarters. He did it, and Jimmy G was serviceable, and at one point he was 12 for 13 and, and was really getting it going, finding different guys. Like I said, George Kittle had a pretty decent game. It seemed like Debo Samuel was, was on pace to be probably setting different rookie records for the Super Bowl, and maybe even be in the conversation for Super Bowl MVP if they end up winning. Uh, but no, Kansas City ends up taking it. Andy Reid gets his first Super Bowl ring after two appearances in the Super Bowl, seven in the NFC-AFC NFC, Championship round, and only two wins out of that, and now one one for two in the Super Bowl. So good job on Andy Reid. I'm really happy for him. Obviously, he was the coach of the Eagles for so long. Never got over the... Never won. He got over the hump. He After three losses in the NFC Championship, they finally win with that Donovan McNabb and T.O. duo. And then... From there, it was kind of just up and down throughout the rest of his tenure. You know, in 2005, that's the T.O. and the preseason does the, the sit-ups in his driveway. And you have kind of a tumultuous couple of years there where Donovan McNabb keeps getting hurt, including in 05. And then again in 06, we have Jeff Garcia. We're talking about this with Matt, so I don't want to completely just re- relive this. But then in that 08 team, they had one last shot to make it. And they go and, and lose to the Cardinals, who they had beaten earlier that year. And the Cardinals end up playing the Steelers in the Super Bowl in that crazy in that crazy Super Bowl in, uh, 10 years ago in 2009. I guess 11 years ago. But, yeah, after that, it couldn't really ever figure it out. They got to the playoffs a couple times, and nothing really panned out. The 4-12 and 12 year with Nick Foles. But no hard feelings. You know, it was just time. And he's done great with the Chiefs, and he's been able to build this franchise over the course of seven straight years. And I mean, he had Alex Smith for a while. And he's done a really good job of finding different running backs to build this team around. Because think about that. LaShawn McCoy was inactive and made an impact on this team throughout the year. Damian Williams ends up having the game of his life through in this Super Bowl. And he was underperforming in the playoffs. We talked about it on the preview podcast. Obviously, Mahomes was great. But he fell to them in that... In the NFL draft a couple years ago, and Andy Reid did a good job of molding him, and, and thankfully he did, because Mahomes has been awesome for him in one of the, the best two-year spans, and the point's been made a thousand times. You've probably heard it on a number of different podcasts, TV shows, radio shows, whatever, but if D4 doesn't go off sides last year, we might be talking about Mahomes being two for two in Super Bowl rings in seasons as a starter, Technically, it is his third year in the league, but you get what the point of what I'm saying. Anyway, great for the Chiefs. Mahomes getting MVP. A lot of people are wondering if that was the right call. Should it maybe have been Damian Williams because he had this great, great fourth quarter as Patrick Mahomes came back alive, and he was still very, very good throughout the rest of the game and i don't know maybe he could have it's it's rare that running backs do especially i think when the quarterback also has himself a pretty solid game mahomes ends up with two touchdowns in the air and one on the ground so i don't know i mean i guess you can make the argument that damian williams did it himself he was the receive the receiver on the one mahomes touchdown i don't know i'm fine with mahomes getting it i you know he's the face of the team now one of the faces of the nfl is the Madden curse on the hot seat, by the way, with Mahomes being on the Madden cover this past year? Uh, and that being Super Bowl MVP? So who knows? Maybe uh, Carson. Figure out a way to get on the Madden cover for Madden 2021, my friend. But, yeah, I mean, the Super Bowl was fun. It was a great experience. Did very well with some prop bets. Shout out to me. Not a big deal. But I'm going to miss football. Obviously, the XFL starting up soon, and we saw what happened last year with the AAF and how everything went with that. I know the XFL, at least there's some infrastructure with how the previous league was run and and that with the 30-for-30 being made that Vince McMahon probably doesn't want to run into similar issues as he did, however many years ago that was, almost 20 years ago. Um, So we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm thinking about this over the weekend because... Right now, we're about to transition to golf, but right before, when I flipped it on after watching the Penguins-Capitals game, which we'll also talk about in a little bit, college basketball was ending and kind of slipping over into the golf time, and I realized, really outside of paying attention to Lehigh basketball, I only know very cursory knowledge of how this college basketball season's gone, and that's probably where a lot of my focus is going to go. We now have about six weeks until Selection Sunday, so plenty of time to figure out how to get an idea of, of who to bet on in the tournament, who to pick. Another big part of it, too, is there's no huge names for the NBA draft. I think Matt and I talked about that a little bit on the last podcast when, when we were wrapping things up. But I think that's part of it, too. Last year, it was a little easier to know Duke with his great team, with Zion, with R.J. Barrett, with all those different guys. And there aren't, there aren't those talents that are coming out this year. So I, I feel like that's part of it, of not at least having a better idea of what's going on. Obviously... Even with all of that, Zion and and him busting his shoe and all that stuff, that didn't happen until after the Super Bowl anyway. But at least he was thrown out there. He was making highlight dunks left and right. But I'm sort of rambling here. Point being, I'm going to start paying a little more attention to college basketball, I'll try to include it in either on these weekend recaps or me and Matt talking about it, getting you ready for the tournament. But let's go over to the golf, the Waste Management Open, the People's Open, the biggest party in golf, whatever you want to call it. It is the second best part of Super Bowl weekend. And I don't think that's an overstatement. Because, granted, hockey's back from the All-Star break. A lot of teams had their bye weeks. You got some great basketball games that are thrown on, both in college and pros. But this is just a fun tournament. And kind of the lead things off. If you're not familiar with this, because it's on the same weekend as the Super Bowl. And the PGA Tour has done a really good job of being cognizant of football. They've moved their schedule Last year, the playoffs, the FedEx Cup, were played in August instead of September, where they had been since its inception in 2007, because of football. They wanted to drive ratings, so they moved the PGA to May, they moved the Players' Championship, which had been on Mother's Day weekend, to back to March, that's where it originally was. And the Waste Management's no different. They aren't just going to skip a week on the, on the tour schedule, so they play this tournament, and... For those not too familiar with how golf tournaments work, there's a field of usually somewhere around 100, 120 that go out each day, two groups, morning got morning set and an afternoon set, and they send threesomes off the first and 10th tee. So basically four groups, morning front nine, morning back nine, afternoon front nine, afternoon back nine, and they basically switch. So if you were a morning front nine person, you'll become an afternoon back nine for Friday and then they cut the field they basically say the top 70 in ties you're making it to the weekend and they go from there and normally what they do is they go in reverse order so the people who are in last place of that top 70 in ties go off first on the first hole usually in pairs sometimes in threesomes and then they go all the way to the leaders being the last ones to go off usually around two o'clock on Saturday and Sunday now that means that the game or the tournament ends around six o'clock which is usually around the time of Peak Super Bowl pregame, i.e. the National Anthem, the coin flip, a lot of prop bet type of stuff. So what the PGA Tour does for the waste management is they continue to send people off of both the 10th and 1st holes in threesomes so that they get everybody onto the course and really get it done. Mainly so that on Sunday it's done in time for the Super Bowl, but they do this on Saturday too. And what's nice about it? is that you get action all day. It truly is the people's open in that in that regard. Last year when we went, me and Maddie D on a, our buddy Lucas's bachelor party, we tried to get in on 16. I've told the story. We almost got trampled. It was nuts. So we ended up watching a bunch of guys warm up, and then we actually followed Xander Shoffley, who was in one of those groups off of 10. We walked down 10 with him, walked down 11. Then we just parked on 12, and we ended up actually seeing every single group go through the 12th hole from about... 9.30, 45 in the morning, all the way until about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is 4 o'clock Eastern time. So everything wraps her up around 4.30, 5 o'clock in the East, instead of about 6.30, 7 o'clock like a normal tournament would where they're sending the last group off around 2, 2.30, depending on what tournament it is. Majors, sometimes it's even closer to 3, especially in the summer. But it's really cool because you get nonstop action. Obviously, golf on TV is a little more different than golf in person but the fact that you're getting non-stop action basically anywhere you go is pretty cool and and obviously the course is known for the 16th hole, the stadium hole, which has been the center of attention for the entire tournament and and this year was no different. This year was where a lot of the Kobe tributes were made throughout the tournament. It wasn't just as you know, during the practice rounds, the PGA Tour it's pretty cool with le- with the crowd making noise. A lot of the golfers will pump up players. If you've ever seen this before. But it was actually pretty cool. Justin Thomas wore a lower Marion 33 Kobe Bryant jersey. And Tony Finau wore a number 8 Kobe Bryant jersey. On Sunday, the pin was placed 8 paces from the left and 24 paces from the front. And I mentioned Tony Finau's number 8 jersey. He, on Friday, ended up making a birdie. And listen to this call and the crowd noise, because it's just incredible. Here is Tony Finau on Friday at the 16th hole of the Waste Management Open. Yeah, it's a hard putt to read, and it's more than anything. It's just, let's watch the first three feet and see how it rolls through the grass. Rolled through very nicely. Hang in there, ball. Hang in there. little different angle just incredible from Tony Finau, and what you missed was when he gets his ball out he does a little Kobe with the uh basketball swoosh and the crowd going completely nuts for it so I mean he clearly Kobe Bryant we've talked about it now in three straight podcasts but had this influence on everybody including golfers I mean they're all younger than I am but it still had this impact because he was just that influential so it was it was pretty incredible but what ends up happening in the actual tournament because I've just been talking about the setup. What ends up having the actual tournament, Tony Finau has an incredible week. He ends up being the 54 hole leader. He's paired up with Webb Simpson in the final group and the two of them are having the battle of their lives. Webb Simpson by the way had a hole in one on Saturday on the 12th hole, the other par 3 on the back 9. So let's throw that audio in now and then we'll we'll finish up with Sunday. Webb Simpson He's a couple shots out of the lead. And then he did this. Couldn't. This this can't be how you get to the top of the leaderboard. Oh, yes, it is. An ace. And he's tied for the lead. An ace. We were a year late, Matt. I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, let's get back to Sunday. Webb and Tony are battling left and right. And Webb Simpson, having himself a pretty good front nine, Tony Finau had a bogey. He was plus one through nine with no birdies. He didn't get a birdie until the 12th hole ends up birdieing 13. These two guys are going back and forth, and it ends up with Webb Simpson draining this putt from deep off the fringe on the 18th hole, on the 72nd hole. Once again, drama. He sinks a birdie putt to tie Tony Finau. Tony has a birdie putt to win, thinks he has it, and just the ball keeps sliding left to right, and you just see Tony Finau's face drop. Taps in for the par. They go to a playoff hole. Tony Finau ends up going left into these church pew bunkers, which if you're unfamiliar with the phrase, it's basically one long bunker with a bunch of islands that look like church pews throughout this long bunker. So he's in between two of the pews in the sand, Still gets onto the green. Similar spot actually to where he was on the 72nd hole. This is still the first playoff hole. Webb goes out onto the the fairway. He ends up putting it a little bit closer than where his birdie putt from the 72nd hole was, but from that same angle. So both guys basically getting a retread at their previous putts. Tony Final is a little bit further away, so he goes first. And you know what? I'm gonna throw in the audio. And we'll listen to what happens. And it's left all the way. So the, if it hit the speed on the other one like that, we'd be on our way to the Super Bowl, <laughs> and he'd be victorious. Okay, all down to Webb. This looks a... familiar, doesn't it? Oh, for the win! Wow! Oh! <laughs> what a stroke! That's what a win! A super. Sunday for Webb Simpson. His sixth victory to go along with his players' title in 2018 in a U.S. Open and others. So Tony goes wide left. Webb drains it. Takes the title. Tony for was going for his second PGA Tour title. This guy is a top five machine. But congratulations to Webb Simpson. A guy who has these weeks where he is lights out. That hole-in-one on Saturday, was en route to a 64 that really put him into position. Tony Finau had a 62 on Saturday, which is incredible. Course record is 60, which has been done 11 times. Didn't mention Justin Thomas. He had a 65 on Sunday with his 33 Kobe jersey. Got a lot of cheers from the crowd there. Found himself tied for third. Still in first place in the FedEx Cup. And, yeah, the the waste management is just awesome. I mean, a lot of rounds in the 60s. Some guys... Don't necessarily hold on to it that well. J.B. Holmes, I don't mean to dog him, but he was your 36-hole leader after Friday and ended up going 70-75 over the weekend to really fall out. Uh, but a number of big names that are that are floating out there. Max Homa had himself a pretty good week, aside from a 72 on on Thursday. Had a 64 Saturday to put himself in, in some sort of contention. He ended up being a couple shots back, but, you know... A, Never truly got it going. It didn't seem like the conditions were that great for scoring. It was a little bit overcast. This is on Sunday. And, yeah, 68 respectable score in the final round. But, again, congratulations to Webb Simpson. And the one last thing to talk about in golf came from overseas. And if you have not seen this, um, over in the European tour, it was the Saudi Arabia Invitational. And basically what happened was... On the European tour, they have a policy of doing mid-round interviews. And in the second round of this Invitational, Graham McDowell was given a bad time, which basically means he took too long in between shots. It was on the fifth hole, and he was asked to participate in this on-course interview. He spoke to Tim Barter of Sky Sports, and... They were just chatting about how the round was going, and and by the time he finally got to his ball, he took a couple seconds to reassess it and line up his shot and all that, and the referee gave him a bad time, which sounds like a South Park meme, but it's the rule. And if you get two bad times in a tournament, this is throughout it, not just in a round, you get a one-stroke penalty. So now it's basically he has a yellow card throughout the tournament, and Graham McDowell even said... I, I was completely rattled by this. It took me a couple holes to find my rhythm. And I was disappointed by it. And Brooks Kepka came to Graham's defense. Brooks notably blasts slow play. Really hates it. He talked about it with Bryson DeChambeau a couple weeks ago. And he just, he was not a fan of the the mid-round interviews. He goes, I do not know any other sport that does interviews in the middle of play. I know in football you're not doing it unless it's the Pro Bowl. Basketball you're not doing it unless it's halftime. This is the only sport where you're talking to people while they're playing. And the PGA Tour has messed around with this a little bit. I know a lot of guys are not fans of it. Graham McDowell actually then came in defense of the on-course interview saying that he likes it. And that's kind of where I fall in is if you like doing it, by all means go ahead. But the referee has to have some sort of leeway there. It's kind of bullshit that he ends up helping out a broadcast, and I get it. You want to keep the pace of play up, but if it's really that ticky-tacky, I hate to keep using that word over and over, on in terms of where the rule is falling in, you got to figure something out because so you got to be like, all right, we're moving along. Because it's not like they just pull him off the tee box and have him stand there. The The guy, basically, who's... Following the group goes, hey Graham, you want to have a moment to talk? And they're just walking along. It's as he's going from there, and, and obviously, you know, if you have your little talkative or a little chatty, you might have a little, little longer of a of a move. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm fine. I guess I'm fine with it. I haven't really seen it too much of it, and I hope it doesn't really come over to the tour a lot. I, I'd like to see it maybe once in a while. Um, but yeah, if you don't want to do it. You don't have to, and if you'd like to and, and want to do that, by all means, go ahead. But I think if you're going to start calling people with these bad time penalties, then you might as well scrap it. I mean, it sucks, because if, if people are really enjoying this, and that's how they're consuming golf, and that's a way that you want to make golf more accessible to have sort of the inside the mind, and that doesn't affect those players, like a Graham McDowell, apparently it doesn't. The bad time penalty does. I don't know. There's, But you gotta you gotta find some leeway in there, but Let me know what you guys are thinking about the golf. I know the audio clips. A lot of people really liked those. Um, Let me know what you guys want to hear, though, because I'm very excited that I'm going to talk more golf on the podcast. And, yeah, I'm just really excited for it. But let's talk some hockey. I mentioned it at the top of the show. I mentioned it a little bit throughout a couple of the other segments. Most teams now are completely back from the All-Star break. The Flyers, the Penguins... We're on their bye week, so they actually ended up not playing until Friday out in Pittsburgh. Flyers went down 3-1, end up rallying back to force overtime. Lose within a minute to uh, Sidney Crosby. A great goal from him on Brian Elliott. Brian Elliott cannot play in Pittsburgh, by the way. Really, uh, it's tough. We need Catahat to get healthy. Um, although, Brian Elliott had a shutout tonight, so good on you, Brian Elliott. Um, then the Flyers hosted the the... Colorado Avalanche on Saturday night nice 6-3 win a big statement They now have home wins against a lot of the NHL's top brass the Bruins the Capitals the Penguins and now the Avalanche who they got smoked by in Denver uh, but the big game that I want to talk to you guys about are big games there's two of them Saturday night the Battle of Alberta I'm sure you guys have seen this heard about this but ladies and gentlemen we have a goalie fight 24 seconds left in the second period. Sam Gagne of the Edmonton Oilers slides in as Cam Talbot, the goalie of the Calgary Flames, is le- starts to lay down on the puck. Gagne wants to slide in and maybe poke it before before Cam can lie down on the puck. He does not get it in time. And the Flames descent on Gagne. And just take a listen to what happens. Tim Talvin reaches back! And that is whistled down and nobody is happy now as in came Gagne with a late poke. And look out as Calvin is into it. And he wants a piece of somebody back there. And Gagne's coming back at Giordano and now Giordano's coming up too. This thing blew over in a hurry. And Smith is coming up the center ice as this thing comes unglued. And there in the high slot here fighting. Looks like with Matthew Kachuk. It's Kachuk and Bear, and they are trading them. Bear comes over the top of the right. Kachuk comes back, and And now Talbot, and Mike Smith are going to go. As Settle Ice, Talbot and Smith, who've been on both sides of this Battle of Alberta. This is unbelievable. Wow. Both guys Played for the other team, respectively, the year before. In the Battle of Alberta, they're going against each other. And Mike Smith came right to center Talbot and said, you know what? Let's do this. <laughs> it just keeps getting better and better. I'll tell you, just a little jab by Gagne after. That puck looked like it was still a little bit loose. It went into the back of the net, and they took exception of it. the Flames did and started to pounce on Gagne, and then everybody converged in, and it boiled over in a millisecond. All right, break this thing down. Obviously, it ends up in a goalie fight between Cam Talbot and Mike Smith, who you heard them mention it on the Hockey Night in Canada broadcast. Mike Smith, previous Calgary Flame, Cam Talbot, previous Edmonton Oilers, You had Matthew Kachuk throwing punches, which is no surprise to that guy. It's just all over the place. He collects Gordie Howe hat-tricks like it's his actual job and not just to play hockey. Uh, Which I guess technically is just a part of his job, but you get what I mean. Um, And it's just completely insane. Connor McDavid will later get into a fight in this game. These two teams hate each other, and we need this. I need this playoff series More than anything. More than the Flyers making the playoffs. More than the Flyers winning a Stanley Cup. I just... Well, let's not get that far. But I need this playoff series to happen in 2020. Not in 2021. Not in 2022. This year. And here's the situation with it right now. The Pacific Division lines up as such. Vancouver's in first with 65 points. They may hold on to that, by all means. uh, Edmonton is now in second place with 62 points. They ended up pulling out the win against the Flames. Their first one this season in the Battle of Alberta. Vegas is in third with 61 and then Calgary with 60. We need some sort of trickery. Gary Bettman, set this fucking thing up. I need a seven game series with this. I need players beating the shit out of each other. I need a goalie fight. The second period, I mentioned it was 20 se- 24 seconds left in the second period. The refs just said, that's it. We're ending the period because of how wild that fight was there's still sticks and gloves all over the ice As all these players are exiting the bench to go to the locker room because they're getting these major penalties it's insane I need this in the playoffs because it would be so much fun I would stay up until 1am watching these games I would be so tired at work but it would be a 1000% worth it and I would be so excited to see these two teams pummel the living shit out of each other so that they're East Coast Hockey League teams which is double A hockey for those of you who don't know so that they're playing in game 7 because everybody's just beating the absolute loot shit out of each other throughout this but the other game I wanted to talk about mentioned a little bit before with the ticky tackiness with the Super Bowl calls the Penguins-Capitals game great game, Penguins end up winning this thing they're up 3-1 the Capitals make it 3-2 the Penguins on this crazy almost like a change up goal make it the 4-2 and then an absolute Lars Eller snipe go look this thing up Makes it 4 3, and a wild third period. The Capitals throughout the third had really been knocking on the door of Matt Murray. Murray actually stood up pretty well, and the Penguins did a pretty good job of evading some goals. The Capitals missed a few opportunities, and the Capitals almost really screwed the pooch a couple times, obviously falling to 4 2. But then Eller put him right back into this thing with like a couple minutes left. Uh, but what I really wanted to get after with the ticky tackiness was really inconsistent refereeing, in terms of penalties, in terms of non penalties, icing calls that were, you know, for those who don't know the icing rules, it's basically a race to the dots, the faceoff dots on in the area where the puck is being iced. A couple times somebody is is beating the icing te- a player from the icing team is beating player from the defending team, which would wave off icing, and they were calling it, which is not the rule. should be waved off. A couple times that happened. The big egregious call, though, and it made me text Jared, was that as the Capitals had the goalie pulled, at one point the puck goes off of Matt Murray as he tried to dive it and basically onto a Penguin stick. But the refs blew it dead as the Penguin... Was I forget which defenseman, collects the puck and was about to clear it out. as It was an empty net, and they wanted to just kill some time. But the ref blew it dead because he thought Matt Murray dove on it and couldn't see the puck, which then results in an offensive zone faceoff for the Capitals, which was kind of nuts because the Penguins should have cleared it out. Puck don't lie, though. The Penguins end up clearing it and end up pulling this thing out for the win in what ends up being an insane game. Because the Penguins really looked like they were stepping it up. And, you know, good on them. They've had an incredible run. Sidney Crosby being back has been the not even it wasn't even what they just needed, because they had been red hot right before he got back. And they just rode that to continue to stay hot. And now find themselves two uh two wins back of the Capitals. Four points total with a game in hand. And you know, I thought the Capitals was cut and dry for this division, but the Penguins could keep making a push and and might be able to to make some noise. They've proven to become a pretty good road team. The Penguins have; they're very good at home. And what concerned me with them was that they hadn't played a lot of road games, and they kind of it was above 500, but still not the clips that you see out of the Capitals, who have this incredible road record, almost the exact opposite in terms of home games played versus away games played uh, for the Penguins and Capitals. But, yeah, the the Pens have really figured it out. And i got to give credit where it's due that they have found themselves right on the door of a potential one seed, which it's been the Capitals forever, the top seed in the Metropolitan, I think almost almost every year. Since this format came into being, I think the Penguins might have had it in one year. I'm trying to remember. Um, But regardless, it's been fun to watch of how this has developed. I still feel like Bruins Capitals is going to be your Eastern Conference final, but I feel like the Penguins could make noise. The thing that concerns me, and I mentioned it with Jared, is you can't, in that 10 Topics 5 Minutes pod a couple weeks ago, you can't question the Penguins' depth, because that's, especially in forward, has, has really shown it. The defense has been a little inconsistent. The goaling is what concerns me a little bit. Now, Murray played very well against the against the Capitals, and there was a couple times he got bailed out either by the defense or the Capitals missing a wide-open net. But he played really well. Tristan Jari has been outstanding. Obviously got named to the All-Star team. You got to see how he does down the stretch. If that consistency stays going, how many times have you seen not just in hockey, but in any sport, really, the NBA or the or uh, any NBA, NHL or MLB? Because the Pro Bowl is after the season. But you know, somebody that's young gets named to an All Star team and then has a kind of a eh, second half. Hopefully, that doesn't happen with him. I don't want to wish ill of him. Just you know, souring. I don't know what the best verb is to throw in there, but. You know that—that's the big question, though—is how will he do in the playoffs? Depending on whoever they play, and in the, in right now they would play Columbus because they have the the edge over the Flyers. They both at sixty five points, but who knows? I mean, the Flyers and Penguins each have each other's number at their respective rinks right now, and that's if that turns into whatever into the series, whether it's three two or a wild card division winner that could be very entertaining, which I, you know, I love seeing the Penguins and Flyers face off in the playoffs, but that's my big question for the Penguins is, is what goalies are you going to get there now with the Flyers? You know, we're starting to see some consistency out of the backup goalies in Brian Elliott, who really is the one B to Carter Hart, but Alex Lyon got called up. He played very well in that game against the, the avalanche. The defense has been outstanding. The, penalty kill has been incredible. Kevin Hayes now has four sh- uh, shorthanded goals, including night against the Red Wings, where they won 3-0 to give Moose Brian Elliott a 3-0 shutout. But yeah, the Flyers have stepped up defensively. They're grinding out goals. And it's also incredible that, that I mentioned it with the Bruins game from a couple weeks back, but the fact that they have these daunting deficits, whether it's the 3-1 on Friday that really that, that was earlier this season, the Flyers keeled over and died and pushed that 3-3 tie to go to overtime. And then a really bad turnover by Sean Couturier is what led to that Sidney Crosby goal. The Flyers won the faceoff and in kind of a trying to be fancy I think it was Russ stuck with Couturier ends up getting it. And they set up their play with Crosby coming over and swinging around the dots, going into the high slot and just sniping past Brian Elliott. Sidney Crosby really has Brian Elliott's number and you know, they, they pull out the win there, but you gotta be happy with it. And I, I was pretty bummed in the moment, but you gotta be happy with the fact that they pulled out a point from that. And, you know, they're currently tied for the, the first wild card or they have the first wild card in are, Tied for that third spot in the Metropolitan Division with the Columbus Blue Jackets, who've been outstanding. They had a great win the other night in Montreal. Montreal is fucking terrible, by the way. I don't know why I don't know why for my fellow degenerates. Montreal, who's under five hundred at home, continues to be home favorites, and all these other teams are coming in that are very good teams and they're road dogs. Keep an eye out on that if you're betting hockey. A team in Montreal. I don't know if they just think going up to Quebec is tough I, I don't know i don't know what vegas is thinking just keep an eye out on that because it could help out um but anyway let's move on final topic of the night little movies with Jordy. i don't know we'll come up with a better idea for the segment Went and saw the gentleman this weekend new movie by guy ritchie who did locked t- lock stock two smoking barrels and snatch which snatch was a movie that it's not One that immediately comes to mind when I think of my favorite movies, but it's one I think of fondly. And it's very funny, very dry British humor. If you're into that kind of movie, if you've seen Snatch and you enjoyed it, you'll really like The Gentleman. Starring Matthew McConaughey, Charlie Hunnam, Hugh Grant's in there, Henry Golding, who has been in like a thousand movies within the last six months. He's in this thing. Um, I don't know her name, but she played one of the main characters on Downton Abbey as I found out from Wikipedia. Uh, she plays Matthew McConaughey's wife. And you have all these different dudes and just a collection of different different people. Colin Farrell pops up as a boxing coach. Um, basically, Matthew McConaughey is from America. He plays basically just Matthew McConaughey in, in London. And he is a dr- a marijuana drug lord who has one of the largest marijuana empires in the United Kingdom, and he's getting ready to get out of the game. He wants to sell to another American uh, played by Jeremy Strong, you might remember it as Kendall from Succession. He plays this guy who is has more money than God. And basically, chaos ensues because different guys from Henry Golding's faction, because he is he deals heroin and he deals cocaine. And he wants to get into the weed business. He also wants to buy McConaughey's business. And his guys end up roughing up one of McConaughey's facilities. And chaos ensues from there. I don't want to give anything else away. But it's a great movie. And back and forth is Hugh Grant, who plays this journalist. And he's all over the place. It's a very fun movie. You'll laugh. You'll There's some suspense in there. You'll be entertained. If you like that kind of movie, those kind of dry, witty, capery, not a heist film, certainly not that type of thing, but kind of capery, you're going to really like this movie. And it's not too long, um, which which is nice. You know, a lot of the movies I've been seeing recently are incredibly long. And I feel like because of what Endgame, Star Wars, really anybody's throwing at us, the Irishman, it's nice to just see a movie that's not three hours long. So go check it out. There was also a, a trailer for Irresistible, which I've checked with a number of my friends; they had not heard of this movie until I told them about it. It's directed by John Stewart. It's coming out later this year, starring Steve Carell, Rose Byrne. Uh, basically, take, it takes place in Wisconsin, where Steve Carell plays a high-ranking member of the Democratic National Party or National Committee, and sees this guy on TV who he thinks he could get to run for mayor of this, I guess, what's supposed to be a traditionally conservative town. He wants to run as a Democrat, I guess, because they want to show. The Democrats have a have a tie in with you know Middle America, and then Rose Byrne plays someone from the RNC, the Republican National Committee, and I guess she's Steve Carell's rival. Uh, not the trailer doesn't really give too much out because it's and it's the Wikipedia page calls it a political satire. It's John Stewart, so if you enjoyed him on the Daily Show, you'll probably enjoy this. He not only directed it, but he co-wrote the movie. Um, I'm pretty excited to see it. I'm not the biggest political guy, but it's not a lot of funny people in this movie, so who knows? It could be a you know good could send a nice message. I mean, Stewart's always a really thoughtful guy, and and you know whether or not you agree with his politics, he's always very articulate in how he makes it. And it could be a movie that maybe not necessarily going for Oscar gold, maybe not necessarily trying to convince you to vote one way or the other in the 2020 election. It might just be a good a good reliever with. You know, some funny people in uh, you know in, a, in an election year, especially uh, as I found out the Iowa Caucus was tonight. And I do not see who won because I've been staring at sports stuff for the last hour and a half getting ready for this podcast. But, you know, it is an election year. But I'm going to stick to sports because I really don't know anything about politics. So even if I wanted to talk politics, I can't. Don't really know too much. Sorry, guys. But <laughs> I think that's going to do it. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, we're getting ready. You know, March Madness is around the corner. Spring training's right around the corner. Pitchers and catchers report in nine days. Cannot wait. It's going to be great. 2020 season, baby. Uh, that means that golf season's right around the corner. I'm playing golf, not just the uh, PGA Tour season. We're well underway with that. Baseball's going to, oh man, it's just going to be great. Can't wait for it to be warm. Although it was 60 here in Philly today. But guys, seriously, thank you so much for checking this out. Let me know what you think. I really love the feedback. A lot of you guys have reached out. And give me your opinions, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to see. And just keep doing that because I really appreciate it. I'm glad to know people are out there listening and it's not just me talking to a mic for 45 minutes going crazy. But make sure you like, share, subscribe to the podcast, The Bullpen Cart on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter, ThunderBLG. Find us on Instagram, Thunderblog Sports. We did our poll of Andy Reid Hawaiian shirts. We're gonna to try to do some more of those types of campaigns on social. Really try to drive up engagement. You know, really, uh, you know, the full full synergy, if you will. Same thing on on Facebook. Thunderblog Sports is the uh, what you need to search there, just like the website ThunderblogSports.com. But guys, enjoy your week. You guys are the best listeners out there. We will be back later this week with another show, whether or not it's Matt or Greg. Hockey, football wrap-up, basketball, maybe a combination of all three is yet to be seen, but we will keep you posted. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. And we'll talk to you soon. Peace!